This morning I was thinking about onward Christian soldiers, guys. It's kind of where I landed. Onward Christian soldiers. Marching as to war with the cross of Jesus. Going on before Christ, the royal master, leads against the foe forward into battle. See his banners go. Onward Christian soldiers marching as as to war. We we should probably all the dudes get up and just march around the room right now. Huh? Don't you have that feeling? Wouldn't that be cool? We should do it. To do it. Yes. So we keep marching, men. We keep pressing on. Um, Just a heads up, too, as uh, parents, we've got some uh, ideas for uh, books you can read to help train your sons and daughters. The list is on the, at Guest Central. So following the gathering, you can go back and pick that up. Um, that's good. It's good. We are um, kind of putting Daniel on hold this morning. Uh, he's fine with that. And we're going to be hitting a topic that uh, it's in the Bible, and that's, that's good to know. And uh, a few weeks ago on Wednesday night, um, we're doing a built series, and there was the uh, 31-day challenge of going through, <coughs> going through the book of Proverbs, um, 31 days of wisdom. And you're going to find um, uh, throughout this morning's talk uh, just several references in the book of Proverbs, man. And um, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. So the Bible is a great resource, not just to put on your shelf in the library, but it's a great form to get to know God better. I was thinking about our first song this morning. We've got a good, good father. Maybe those of you watching, somebody in the auditorium, you're thinking, man, I don't think that's true. And I have to tell you, when I was younger, I kind of had a wrong picture of who God was. And as I've grown in my faith, I've got to know him better. And uh, by reading the Bible, you kind of get a picture of who God actually is. And I can tell you that he is a good, good father from experience. And to allow him to pour his love into you, that is, it's a profound thing. Not where, you know, on the day you receive Christ and and he pours his love in, but his resource of love is so great, you cannot contain it. And so even through a lifetime, he can keep pouring and pouring into you, (laughs) and you never get full, man. It's, uh, it just, it's, it's incredible. So... I appreciate the love of God. It has radically changed my life. And uh, as a man, I know for some dudes, they, you, have a tr- you have a problem with that. You know, God loving you. You know, you're Mako, you're cool. Uh, God, God is masculine too. He's powerful, all powerful. There's nothing that can stand against him. And yet he loves in an incredible way. So I just want to encourage you to get to know him and uh, let him make himself known to you. We're going to jump in with um, um, Alan Langham. He was a man that was destined for, well, there was no hope. If uh, He was in and out of jail seven times. Uh, He was an angry man, ticked off at life, didn't think life was fair. And uh, he kind of walks through his life story. And as you hear it, you're going to say, man, this guy, it's a hopeless situation. And it's possible today that you feel hopeless, you know, as a man. Uh, Bad things have happened to you. And you've kind of signed off on God. You, You think God would never love you. God would never have a plan for you because, man, you're 
It's lost. It's a lost cause. But anyway, Alan says 10 years ago, I was lost. I was broken. I was alone. I was suicidal. I was an empty shell of a once promising rugby player in England. I was shuffling around the exercise uh, yard in the prison one day, a man of extreme violence, and uh, yeah, doing seven prison sentences in England. He said, I was a ticking bomb. A ticking, a ticking time bomb ready to go off. Maybe you can identify with that. Uh, maybe you feel like, I don't know how much more of life I can take. I just feel like I'm going to explode. Well, that's where Alan was. And he kind of goes uh, back in time when he was a child. He said, I saw violence everywhere. My mother was widowed by her first husband. He, she was abused for 20 years by her second husband and deserted by my father, whom she never married, when I was eight months old. Thriving with anger and resentment towards my absent father, I constantly got into fights with the bullies in my neighborhood, trying to prove my toughness. One morning, I came down uh, after sleeping, and I found my mother dead on the sofa, she was a victim of cerebral hemorrhage, and he said, something snapped in me that day. I was 14 years old, and I just went off, man. I went on a road of destruction for the next 20 years. I went to three schools. I got, I got expelled in two of them because of my anger, out of control. By the time I was 16 years old, I left home. I went on my own. I was angry, bitter, and lost. So what did I do? I started drinking, gambling, fighting, emulating kind of the gangster lifestyle. That was my idea of what a man was. But I excelled in rugby, and at 17 years old, I signed a professional contract with the Sheffield Eagles. And soon after that, I was making so much money, I, I went down the wrong road. I began fighting selling drugs, collecting debts from dealers, generally bullying my way through life. And so as I was in my first prison term as a lost little boy trapped inside a professional rugby player's body, maybe we've got some boys and men's bodies here this morning. It didn't take long for prison to turn me into a hardened criminal, he said. It's a hostile wor world in prison, physically, mentally, and emotionally, where only the fittest survive. said, in prison, I developed an heroin addiction, which left me alienated from my firstborn daughter and her mother. During the next two years, I got caught up in my schooling and got clean from heroin but after my next release from prison, I returned to my old ways again. This vicious merry-go-round kept spinning, drinking, drugs. Now I was on cocaine, partying, violence, sex, and before long, I was back in prison. Over the years, I experimented with everything, Buddhism, Hinduism, spiritualism, medication, but nothing worked, man. My life was still a wreck. And despite my burning desire to change, I couldn't find peace or stability in my life. I was broken, man. Eventually, I stabbed a number of fellow inmates, and that got me landed in the high-security prison in southeast London. I hated who I had become. Maybe that's you this morning. With my violent outburst and paranoid behavior, I had pushed away anyone I ever cared for and put my family through hell. I was mentally, emotionally, and spiritually bankrupt on the inside. I remained that lost little boy in desperate need of love and acceptance. And while awaiting trial in a kidnap and hostage-taking case, I finally hit rock bottom. I decided to take my life, and before I did, with stream, tears streaming down my face, I fell on my knees 
and made one final plea to God. If you're real, God, and you hear me, show me who you are. And Alan went on a spiritual journey. And through a series of circumstances, he put his faith in Jesus Christ. He said, after transferring to another prison, I began praying, studying the Bible, reading Christian books. One of the books I read, the author was raised in a horrific home, horrific background, and said that they took all of those experiences, put it in a ball, symbolically, laid it at the feet of Jesus, and said, I can't carry this anymore. You need to heal me from my past. And Alan said, man, that resonated with me. And so I did the same thing. I took, I took the anger and all of those terrible experiences that I had through life, and I laid it at the feet of Jesus Christ. I said, Lord, I can't take this. I can't carry this anymore. I give it to you. I'm trusting you to heal me. And so he took that ball of rage and trusted the Lord to do a good work in his life. Alan said, when I awoke the next morning, I felt peace like never before. And being a Christian and with God's help, I've walked away from drinking drugs and sleeping around. And God in his patience, man, has kept using this broken vessel for his purpose. He's given me the privilege of going back into prisons, testifying to the hope and forgiveness that Jesus Christ offers. I've spoken to rooms full of men convicted of horrific crimes, telling them about Jesus Christ and see how hearing about Christ, it broke them to that point of needing him. God helped me launch a ministry that reaches out to young people abandoned by society. He let me return to my first love, being a chaplain with several teams. And miraculously, God even gave me my family back. It's taken years, but one by one, he has repaired broken relationships with my sisters, with my three children, and with the father who deserted us so long ago. This refining process has been long, but bit by bit, God has been faithful and he's polishing me into a trophy of God's great grace. Aren't you glad for that? Friends, I don't know where and how you are this morning. I'm, you know, maybe somebody brought you here and you don't know why, but uh, you've kind of carried this backpack for a long time of feeling like not good enough, I'm not worthy enough. I'm so ticked off with life. I'm ready to explode. And I point my finger at God. I blame God. I blame whoever I can because of that. Well, we're going to take a look at the book of Genesis. That's the first book in the Bible. And uh, Genesis chapter 4. So it's right on the front end of your Bible. That's good. And we're going to read a couple verses to get us rolling here. Now, Adam had sexual relations with his wife, Eve, and she became pregnant. When she gave birth to Cain, she said, with the Lord's help, I have produced a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. And when they grew up, Abel became a shepherd. While Cain cultivated the ground, and when it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. So, when you open your Bible, you'll have to go to Genesis 4 to find that word angry, anger, for the first time. But it's in the Bible, and in fact, it's in there hundreds of times when you go looking for it. Why? Because as human beings, we deal with anger, don't we? You don't, evidently, but there's times I do. Yeah, I can, I can say, yeah. There's, there's three primary emotions that human beings carry with them. There's three primary. It's, 
It's happy, sad, or anger. Happy, sad, or anger. And we know that anger is very contagious of these three. Anger is kind of like that thermostat, you know, you, I don't know if you've ever been in a room with, with people, but you can just feel it's hot in here. Maybe not temperature-wise, but man, there's some tension going on. Somebody's ticked off. Huh? Yeah. I've been in situations like that where you try and find an excuse. Maybe we need to go home, you know? This, this feels heavy in here, and I don't, I don't like it. I don't like that feeling, you know, because somebody in the room is ticked off. And somebody in the room is very, very angry, and they're taking it out on everybody around them. It's not good. It's not good. Well, that's the cool thing about the Bible, because the Bible addresses anger. It gives us some insight. In the Christian Counselor's Manual, Jay Adams writes, Anger is a problem for every Christian. Sinful anger is probably involved in 90% of all counseling problems. It's a lot, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. Yes, it is. For those of you men that have gone through um, men's fraternity at Live Church, which... To me, I think it's the best material out there uh, for men. It's, it's long, but it's very, very good material. And in it, they talk about the father's wound, having a father wound. And that's why a lot of younger men and even adult men walk around ticked off because there's a, a wound that they've carried since childhood. That's what Alan Langham carried around with him, his father who took off man, when he was eight months old, ticked him off, impacted him for the the next few decades of his life until he had the courage, man, to to deal with it and put it in God's hands. But anyway, Al Davis, he is the founder of Agape Healing International. He's part of the Focus on the Family Ministry in Canada. He writes, understanding and healing the father wound, and on the screen you'll see it, the Father wound is the absence of this love from your birth father. The wound can be caused by neglect, which makes you feel unimportant, absence, divorce, separation, or death, abuse, mental, physical, sexual, spiritual, control, oppressive domination, withholding, love, blessing, affirmation, deficiencies that lead to a profound lack of self-acceptance. I've talked to men And we've talked about this topic. I ask them, how is your relationship with your father? And many times they'll say, not good, not good. A father wound can cripple a man from becoming everything that God wants you to be, friend. And it takes courage to deal with it and be honest about it. You can keep running from it. You can keep stuffing it in the closet, pretending it's not there, but it will haunt you until you deal with it. You put it on the table. And so Davis continues our relationship to our birth father when we hold a conception of our birth father as angry, violent, uncaring, abandoning, alcoholic, condemning, critical. We tend to believe the following words of ourselves. You see, that's transferred on from that father wound. I am unworthy. I am stupid. I'm incompetent, I'm unloved, or I'm unlovable. And so he continues by saying, this is a way you can address the father wound. There's four steps. Understanding the heart of God, that's a great place to start. You get to know God. You get to see him as he is, a loving father. Maybe not the way you thought because your biological father really messed things up in your life. Inviting Jesus into the wounds created by your birth father. You take so many men, they just, you know, put a Band-Aid on it and keep rolling, pretending it's not there. It's being honest as a man, and you put it on the table before the Lord. You tell the Lord exactly what you've been carrying around. He hears, and he cares. 
Accepting the truth about oneself as a child of God. We sang about that this morning as well. How much God loves us. And then the heart of God. Getting to know the heart of God. Getting to know his love for you. And we're going to talk more about that later on. Um, five signs of anger issues. Kent Evans, he's got a men's ministry, and he um, says healthy anger triggers your flight or fight mode and is God's way of helping you avoid danger. Unhealthy anger issues will damage your relationship with your kids, model ungodly behavior, and hurt those you love most. So here are the five. Explosive outbursts, man. You just, you just blow up. That time bomb goes off. And it doesn't matter who you damage, man. It just blows up. Number two, increasing inward anger. You care, you're stewing, you're brewing, man. Your, your body temperature is peaked. You can, blood pressure's up, up there. You're ready to blow at any time. Three, growing dependence on alcohol. You start needing a beer, a stiff drink to smooth your nerves. Recent studies show increased alcohol consumption will produce more violent behavior. Unpredictable mood swings, man. <laughs> People that know you best, they don't know, is he going to be happy, sad, or angry? You know, they, they have to dial it in. They don't know who's going to show up today. Number five, passive-aggressive behavior. You may harbor resentment towards those around you and use sarcasm and indifference to control your emotions. It can be hard to face the truth of how you're using manipulation and blame, but dealing with the underlying cause of your anger is your most courageous step forward. That's what we've been talking about. Be honest. The good news is anger is something that you can overcome. God's Holy Spirit inside you can lead us to peace and joy. Aren't you glad for that? Craig Rochelle, pastor's life church in Oklahoma, wrote this, a man without a cause from God is often just an angry man who doesn't know where to direct his pent-up energy and aggression. A warrior with a cause from God directs that warlike energy for a cause greater than himself. You see, that's what God wants. He wants to use you. Gentlemen, God created you with the heart of a warrior. Until there's something you're willing to die for, you can't truly live. You were created to fight for righteousness. Until you tap into that divine cause, you'll be bored, destructive, and frustrated. I honestly believe that I'm on the front lines in the most important war. Marching is to war. The one between heaven and hell, the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of darkness. My sword is drawn. I'm on the front lines. I'm willing to die for the cause to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. That's not what I do. That's who I am. It's in me. It starts with my family and it bleeds into everything else I do. Your spiritual enemy, men, wants to take you out. He's a master at making strong men weak. Sometimes he does that by making us comfortable, secure, and safe, resigned to a mediocre life because it's familiar and doesn't require much from us. Is that really how you want to live? Just going through motions? Though Satan makes strong men weak, God is in the business of making weak men strong. Woo! Your past isn't the most important thing that Alan found out in England, right? Your future is. And so, so there we have it. That's a good landing ground for where we're going today. Number one in your notes, wisdom from Cain and Abel. We can, we can get some wisdom, not only out of the book of Proverbs, but out of Genesis 4. And uh, we read that. Um, so point one, Cain brought some, Abel brought the best. Verse 3. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. Let's take a look, just to give you a heads up. We've got a, we've got a farmer. We can pretend that's Cain. Does that look like Cain? Should we take a vote? 
No? Okay. And then we have the shepherd. There's Abel. The farmer, the, uh, the farmer and, the, and the shepherd, two contrast. Stop and think about it, friends, when we, we would imagine that, that Adam, the father of Cain and Abel, would have taught his sons the best way to sacrifice. They would look to their dad as an example of what to do and how to do it. And so, number two, the Lord accepted Abel and did not accept Cain's. Nothing's wrong with the grain offering that Cain brought. It's cool. But Cain brought a token gift. We, we see that Cain brought some of his crops. We see Abel brought the best. We can kind of hit the pause button right now because Cain rationalized, yeah, I know what God demands of me, but it doesn't matter what God wants. I'm going to live my life the way I want to. I am going to justify and even rationalize what I can give to God. I don't have to give God my best. I can give God my leftovers. You know, I can make that decision. I'm in charge. That's Cain's mentality. And then you look at Abel, he brings the very best because God requires our best, friends. Don't talk yourself down and think, oh, God, God is so far away, it doesn't matter to him. God knows your heart. <laughs> he saw the attitude in Cain, man. It just seeped out of him. Pride. Self-righteous. I'm a good man. Yeah, I'm going to sacrifice to God. I'm just going to give him the leftovers. You know, I was thinking, how many men <laughs> we give God our leftovers even in worship, man? You know? I know God wants me to bring a sacrifice of praise. I, I, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to stand here. That's how I feel. I keep my hands down. Keep my mouth shut. Do you realize that Adam trained his boys on how to sacrifice, and somewhere along the line, Cain went off the rails from what was honoring to the Lord? And we as men, we can come into church and we can just stand there like a totem pole and think, man, we're cool, you know? I know what God demands of me, but I'm not going to push the envelope. And I can tell you that as a man, I've grown into worship. I have. Because I was one of those dudes who had his arms down and I, you know, I thought I had it together. But as you grow in your walk with him and you realize how much he loves you, friend, you cannot hold that back. There is an explosion of passion to express your gratitude to God. Really, really. And so do your sons and daughters, when they sit by you, stand by you during worship, what are they seeing? What are you training them? Huh? How are you training them? Because they're watching. They see dad is passionate about God. Even at home, man. They see you worshiping God at home. Huh? You know, we can talk about the tithe, man. I, I don't have to tithe. I can give God my leftovers financially. Is that how you treat God? You give him the leftovers? He's given you everything and you give him leftovers? Huh? And you say, man, I'm pushing back. I don't like this topic of money. Jesus talked a lot about money because he knows the heart. It's mine. It's mine. That was Cain's attitude. It's mine. This, this farm is mine. This grain is mine. I'm not going to give God my best. See how that creeps in? 
those little attitudes, man, little cracks in the foundation, they creep in. So the Lord accepted Abel and did not accept Cain's. Cain is ticked, number three. Look at verse 5b. This made Cain very angry. I'm ticked off, man. And he looked dejected. He's got a red face. Huh? He's ticked. Why? Because his offering was not accepted. He felt emotional pain. He responded in anger. When you feel rejected, betrayed, unappreciated, unloved, when you feel like you're treated unfairly, what happens? Anger boils up. And you know, we've already talked about this. Anger can be contagious. In his autobiography, uh, the book number one, Billy Martin, former baseball coach in New York, Mets, Yankees, that's what I said, Yankees. (laughs) Mark's coaching me up here. That's good. That's good. Thanks. Thank you. Anyway, Billy Martin talks about the time that he and uh, Mickey Mantle went down to Texas to go hunting together. And uh, Mantle's friend, you know, quickly gave permission for them to hunt on his property. And, and he asked Mickey, he said, uh, would be, before you guys go out to hunt, can you do me a favor? And he says, I've got a pet mule in the barn, and I really like this mule, and he's going blind. And uh, I don't have the heart to put him out of his misery. Mickey, will you shoot my mule? Mickey came back to the car, and he pretended to be very angry. So he was putting on a little show here for Billy. And he slammed the door, huffing, and he said, and Billy says, man, what's the problem? And Mickey said, my friend won't let us hunt. So I'm, I'm so mad at that guy, I'm going to go in his barn and shoot one of his mules. <laughs> and, and Mickey drove like a maniac to the barn, pulled out his rifle, went in, and boom, you know. And, and Martin said, you can't do that. Mickey said, just watch. <laughs> so Mantle did that. He, he shot the mule. And as he's walking out of the barn, he hears two more shots. And uh, he ran back to the car. And he saw that Martin had taken out his rifle. And he says, what are you doing, Martin? And Martin yelled back with a red face filled with anger. Well, show your friend I just killed two of his cows. What happens when you get ticked, huh? Bad things happen. Number four, God asked the question, look at verse six. Why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? God sees the heart. He sees what Cain is offering, the motive behind it, the attitude. And he's really asking Cain. He's saying, Cain, I see that you're angry Tell me why you're angry. He's drilling down to Cain. Notice God is talking to Cain through this whole situation. You may be carrying a lot of baggage of anger and rage behind you. And God, I tell you, is trying to get your attention so that you deal with it in a good way. It's a good question to ask ourselves, the question that God asked Cain, how do do I feel and why do I feel that way? Why do I feel that way? Why why do I feel so angry? Why do I feel rage so much? And God identifies it for Cain. He says, you're angry. Why are you so angry? We kind of hit a pause button there. We'll bring up there's good anger examples in the Bible as well. Aristotle, in your notes, anyone can become angry, that's easy, but to be angry with the right person to the right degree at the right time for the right purpose and in the right way, that's not easy. We can say yo to that, right? That's so, that's so true. That's so true. So our first example, you know, not all anger is bad. Jesus is a great example of that. You go to Matthew 21, 12. Jesus entered the temple, began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. 
He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. He said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. Jesus' anger was justified here because at the root concern of, it was for God's holiness and worship that was to take place in the temple. And they turned it into an outdoor mall, you know, with a storefront selling stuff inside. And because of this, Jesus was quick and decisive in dealing with it. See, he was protecting the Father's temple. Another time Jesus showed anger was when he was in a synagogue in Capernaum. He, a group of Pharisees were refusing to answer Jesus' questions, you know. Mark 3, 5, he says, He looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hearts because Jesus knows our heart. He can see our hearts. He knows what's brewing in there. And it upset him because these religious dudes thought they had it together. And many times we think of anger as being selfish, you know, a destructive emotion that we need to eradicate from our lives, but that's not true. Because we see even in Jesus' example, there are times when we can become righteous, angry for a good cause. We see that anger in itself as an emotion that can be right or it can be wrong. We see that in Ephesians 4.26, Paul writes, and don't sin by letting anger control you. See, don't sin by you. Anger, when it's controlled for a purpose, but when it's out of control, it will control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. The command is not to avoid anger. That's not what Paul's writing about here. It's not talking about suppressing it, ignoring it, but to deal with it properly in a timely manner. Dr. Neil Warren said, my years as a, as a psychologist have slowly taught me a different to believe fact. The amount of conflict in a marriage only determines the speed at which the marriage is moving towards greatness or destruction. If you want to sit still in your marriage, rule out all conflict. If you want your marriage to crash and burn, let the conflict rage, but refuse to learn the skills necessary for managing it. Well-managed conflict is like a stairway that can lead you to higher and higher levels of marital greatness. I think Debbie and I have learned that. We're not perfect at it yet. But man, yeah, we, we had our blow-ups back in the day, and you've heard me say, we've gone through A to Z, we've been there, done that, now it's peaceful. <laughs> no, you just learn, you learn over time, you know? God, God has a great sense of humor because he's given you a spouse that just exposes how selfish you really are. Really, I mean, when it comes down to it, it just like, boom, he just wants to blow up your pride and your selfishness and make he, you more like him. I mean, that's a good way to do it. So anyway, food for thought there. <laughs> Most of our anger comes from because we've been treated wrong, you know, we've been offended. And so we have to react. Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. Proverbs 12.18, some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise bring healing. Good words of wisdom. Stephen, another example, Acts 7.54. Stephen's an uh, early church leader in the New Testament. There's a lot of opposition going on when people were talking about Jesus in the public arena. Stephen's talking about Jesus and what he did for them. And this is how this crowd responds in verse 54. The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation and they shook their fists at him in rage. Were they angry? Absolutely. Verse 57, then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. So how would you react if you were in Stephen's place? Would you push back? Hmm? 
hate-filled people throwing rocks at you, knowing that ultimately you're going to die from that? This is what Stephen chose to do in verse 59. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Stephen prayed that God would offer forgiveness and his grace to this crowd that was killing him. Where do you think Stephen learned to pray like that? (laughs) Well, from Jesus, really. When Jesus was being falsely accused and tried and tortured, he didn't defend himself. When he was nailed to a cross in Luke 23, 43, Jesus prayed for those who were killing him. Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Jesus forgives, friend. He forgives. That leads us back to Cain, number three. Why are you so angry? Verse six, the Lord asked Cain, why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right, but if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. One day Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while they were out in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. You see where anger will take you? When it's not controlled. Cain was angry because he compared himself to his brother. That's where we get, we start comparing ourselves. Life's not fair. That person has this. I don't have that. You know, blah, 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 blah. We keep making excuses. I want to be treated the way Abel's being treated by God. That's not fair. I have expectations of God in life, and God's not meeting my expectations. And so he's angry. He's angry at Abel, and he takes it out. And what did Abel do to Cain? Anybody know? He didn't do anything. Nothing. And yet, that's where Cain's anger is directed, at his brother. He's angry at Abel, but really, deep down, Cain's angry at himself. He's not happy with himself. God said in verse 7, you need to do what's right. You will be accepted if you do what's right. Cain chooses, I don't want to do what's right. Are you like that this morning? I don't care what God wants. I'm going I'm to do what I want to do. I don't want to give God the best We had a little battle going on. And so Cain says, I vote not to change. I don't want to change. I don't want to become more like God with my life. I want to keep being a a man of pride and self-confidence and on and on. Um, Craig Groeschel wrote this, the Christian Atheist book. He says, many Christian atheists live year after year under the illusion that We simply can't change. Once we've forgiven ourselves for past mistakes, some surrender to present problems, never even hoping to overcome them. We may openly even proudly believe in God, but we honestly don't believe he can change us. And it's not that we've never tried to change. We have often. Perhaps we prayed and asked God for help, but nothing happened. But when that or other things were tried, didn't succeed, we eventually surrendered our hopes for a different life. Even though I believe in God, I don't really think he can help. After all, this is how he made me. You ever say that? Many believe that common lie. That's a lie, friend. That's a stronghold. I can't change. Like Jeremy, who's addicted to alcohol, pornography, sleeping with girls, smoking pot, Although Jeremy has been a Christian since he was 15 years old, his life hasn't advanced and matured in his walk with God. Every Sunday, Jeremy faithfully sits in the fourth row in the church, convinced that he will never overcome his addictions. In his mind, this makes him unworthy of God's love. Jeremy doesn't believe he will ever change. God can change Jeremy but it won't happen as long as Jeremy believes it can't happen. Jeremy lives inside an invisible fence, doesn't he? 
Paul writes in Romans 6.14, sin is no longer your master. Do you believe that? Yet many of us are mastered by things that aren't God's best for us. Is that you? So Cain directs his anger at Abel. We feel shame, we feel guilt, we feel convicted. But it's easier for us to point our anger at others instead of taking responsibility for ourselves. It's your fault. You hear a lot of people today blaming their parents why their life is messed up, you know? They blame their teacher, they blame the police, they blame whoever out there. It's their fault. That's why I can't get ahead. So Cain takes it out on Abel, I'm angry, and for a minute, you know what? It's easier to say I'm angry than to say I'm feeling a little insecure about this right now. We don't like to admit that. So there's a flare going off in Cain's life. God is shooting a flare to get Cain's attention. And it's God is trying to get Cain to say, I need to make a change here. My, my attitude's wrong. And um, when you're angry at yourself, it comes out. It bleeds out to the people around you. They're the casualties. James 4.1 asks the question, why are you angry? What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. You don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. Even when you ask, you don't get it. Why? Because your motives are all wrong. It all comes down about me. You want only what will give you pleasure. And James is saying here, you're taking your anger out on other people. Instead, you need to go to God with it. That's where you need to go. Why are you angry? Verse 2, you want what you don't have. See, you want what you don't have. And so, you scheme and kill for it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. That's what anger does. So, God's trying to get Cain to recognize his anger issue and to deal with it. And really, up to this point in Cain's life, he hasn't sinned yet. You see, he's thinking, and that thinking will bring an action, and God is trying to thwart this temptation for anger to define itself in his life and for Cain to admit, you know what, God, you're right. I am angry. And I'm angry because. James 1, 2, you want what you don't have, so you scheme and you kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't. So you fight and wage war to get it back from them. You want something you don't have. You see it in Cain. He wants what Abel has. Abel has the blessing of God, the smile of God on his life. He wants to live his life the way he wants to live it. He doesn't want to change. He's pushing back against God. And so the challenge for you and I this morning is we need to realize and take responsibility for our lives, not looking around out there, blaming other people. We need to own up. I have a problem, and I need God to fix it. You want respect, you're not getting it, so you're ticked off. You want to be noticed and appreciated, but nobody seems to be appreciating you, so you get ticked off. You want your way once and for all, you're not getting it. I want what I deserve in life, and so you're angry. All these little mind games we play. And James 1.19 challenges us, as God did with Cain, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. A man's anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. 
So, man, if you're not listening, if you're speaking quickly, if you're getting angry, boom, right away, you're not going to reflect the character of God that he wants for you. So some wisdom here. Identify why you're angry. Ask, why am I angry? And third, consider what I'm not getting, what I really want. Put it on the table. Proverbs 19.11, sensible people control their temper. They earn respect by overlooking wrong. Sometimes you just have to let things go. That's pretty good. It's like Paul in Philippians 1. When we went through that book, what did Paul say? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I'm being taken advantage of. It doesn't matter. What matters is God is honored and glorified. That's the mindset you and I need to have. It doesn't matter if I'm being taken advantage of. And so when you look at, you know what? In verse 8, Cain goes out to kill his brother, and you think, man, I would never kill my brother. I would never kill somebody over my anger issue problem. Well, the New Testament puts it this way, 1 John 3.15, anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. Yes, you are a murderer, John says, if you hate if anger leads you down that trail. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. And Jesus even endorses that in Matthew 5. You have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. Does God notice anger in our lives? Absolutely. And just like he was confronting Cain, he confronts you and I to deal with it in an honest way. And so, anger can hurt you physically, spiritually, emotionally. Should. Number four, humility is the difference maker. James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. What was God trying to do in Cain? He was trying to get him to humble himself and admit that he had a problem. But he wouldn't do it. He said no. Ephesians 4.31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. That word get rid of in the Greek, in the original, it means to remove, destroy, or kill. Kill the anger. Kill the rage. Remove it. Bring it to the Lord. Ask him to forgive you, to deal with those root issues in your life. A woman in her mid-50s got married when she was 19 to a man who was physically and verbally abusive to her, and she was married to him for 12 years before she finally escaped that relationship. For the past several decades, she's been consumed with bitterness, rage, and anger, not because she wanted it, but because everything that she had been through, she figured that was the only option. She said, I woke up every day and I feel like hate for him is going to suffocate me. There was so much pain for so long that my rage left no room for anything else. But recently, the Lord has been speaking to me. See? It's the Cain moment. God is speaking. How are you going to respond? But recently, the Lord has been speaking, challenging me to forgive my former husband. I have chosen to do just that. She said, yes. Maybe you're angry at your father. That transfers to your spouse. Your anger at your spouse can be misplaced anger at your job. It just keeps going, friend. It keeps going. It follows you. The, devil's, the devil loves to use anger to destroy every relationship that we have. Proverbs 14, 29, people with understanding control their anger. A hot temper shows great foolishness. It's good. Thank you, Solomon, for that.
And Ephesians 4.26, don't sin by letting anger control you. Are you humble enough this morning? You could see it on your notes. You humble yourself before the Lord. You identify the anger. You surrender that anger to the Lord. You repent. Lord, I am sorry for the stronghold that has been developed in my life, giving ground to the enemy to have access to every area of my life. I've opened the door for his activity because of this anger that I've allowed to camp out in me. Lord, I am sorry for that. Forgive me. And he will. And number five, see yourself for who you really are. Galatians 3, 26. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Galatians 4, 7. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Oh, baby. I'm telling you, man, it's liberating when you allow God to love you, empower you, believe what God's word says about you instead of what maybe a parent, your dad, or a colleague, or a friend. No, start believing what God says about you. Accept yourself as a child of God. It's on the screen, I'm accepted. You can go through that. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. You see yourself for who you really are. You are a son and daughter of God, friend. You don't have to be angry anymore. God loves you. It doesn't matter what other people do to you, say to you, treat you. I'm a child of God. I know who I am. You can do whatever you want, man, but that's not going to take away how much God loves me. I'm good with that. Worship team is coming. We're going to celebrate this good word this morning from God's word. Liberty, freedom from anger that has been controlling so many, so many. You can be set free. Neil Anderson has a prayer, and we have these cards at Guest Central, which basically echo what number five in your notes, what God's word says about you. This is a prayer. You can echo it. If you want anger to go. Dear Heavenly Father, you are a holy God and you call me to be holy, set apart for your use. Like you, I have the capacity for anger. But unlike you, I also have the capacity for using that anger wrongly. You have called me to freedom, but have told me not to use my freedom as an opportunity for my sin nature. Rather, I am to serve others in love Open my eyes to understand the source of my anger and the bitterness in my soul. Free me from my past that it may no longer have any hold over me. Fill me with your spirit that I may live a righteous life of patience, gentleness, and self-control. I thank you, Lord, that you are gracious and merciful slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. You may not know Jesus this morning. Jesus went to the cross to pay for your sin, my sin, debt in total. He paid it. He took my place. There's nothing that you can do to earn that love, forgiveness, But like the thief on the cross, he said, Jesus, I believe in you, that you are the Son of God. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. You can say, Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. You took my place on the cross. Thank you for forgiving my sin. I'm putting my trust in you right here, right now, in Jesus' name. Friend, you are a child of God. That's a promise that God makes. I encourage
encourage you to do that. Jesus, I believe in you. I put my trust in you this morning. You died for my sins. There's nothing I can do to earn your love. You love me to the maximum right now. So I'm going to live for you, Lord. 